Ephesians chapter 2. If you contain your Bibles over there. and Specifically, that's going to be going through verses 8 through 10. But a little bit of review first, because it's, man, it's an amazing passage. We've been going through so many cross-references speaking about our salvation. Our salvation, how we're saved and how we remain saved afterwards. And today we get a beautiful Greek word that comes up in Ephesians 9. And it's the Greek word poema, or we get workmanship, or masterpiece, translated into the English. But it's where we get our word for for poem. And I just think that's such a cool word, to talk about how we can walk in God's poem as his poem this morning. Amen, church? Amen. So, you know, to to reference our review, I I did want to bring up uh, Philippians 3, 17 through 20. And I love it because Paul speaks of a former way and then a, a way of living that is opposed to the cross of Christ. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Yeah. But we've been raised up to the heavenlies, like we talked about last week. Ephesians 4 through 7, we've been seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. And to go there from being in a place of dead in our trespasses, being in a place of spiritual deadness, or as it says here, walking in the way that makes us actually an enemy of the cross of Christ. And we summed all that up to say, hey, we no longer want to be in that dead place We want to be in a place where we walk that brings us joy and gives God glory. There's a sweet spot somewhere in there. I was talking with a brother about it this week that often I make that a trade-off where I want to do something joyful, but then I neglect the glory of God. Or, hey, I want to glorify God, but then I neglect some of my own satisfaction and contentment in life. So we're continuing in that sweet spot today going into verses 8 through 10, and remembering that it's such a blessing. I have a full section up here. Remembering it's such a blessing to go from being a child of wrath to now being able to call ourselves a child of God. No longer that child of wrath living in a way where we think we make a better God than God, but living in a way where we say, because of my identity, because I'm a child of God, and because of his love and mercy for me, I want to show his rich kindness to others. We talked a little bit about it last time, but today even more so, two main questions I want to get after is, if we're saved by grace, not by works, I just want to firm that up, that even our good works actually have something to do with God rather than ourselves. (laughs) And also the other question, if we're saved by grace and then we've been raised to the heavenlies and all this stuff has happened to us, then why walk in this worthy manner? Why walk in the way of love? Why, Why continue living for God in this newness of life if he's already done all of that for us? 
So if you remember from last time, and you can read this in Ephesians verses 1 through 3, that's where we were. 4 through 7 is what God has done for us. And this is a helpful Bible study tool if you ever, you ever come across a passage and there's a long list of things that are occurring, just outline it out like this. It's pretty helpful, actually. So if you're like me and you love to work, <laughs> then you got to look at a passage like this. And you have to be humbled to realize, according to Ephesians 2, this is my work. I, Joey, transgressed. I sinned. I was dead in sin. I followed Satan. I indulged sinful cravings. I followed sinful desires. I was deserving of wrath. It's doing pretty well for myself in my works. And then God's works. He loved us. He showed us mercy, made us alive in Christ. He saves us by his grace. He pours out his grace upon us. He's raised us up to heavenly realms. He shows us his kindness and his rich, rich grace. So that, that's an awesome Bible study tool where, man, it makes it pretty clear, God is doing like all the work right here, right? <laughs> we don't get very far in our own work. And then last time we just, you know, another Bible study tool, you could do a, a word search on that same Greek language of dying with him, being buried with him, being raised up and united with him. We talked about Romans 6, Colossians 2. And it puts it all together that, hey, that's the new birth that Paul is talking about. To be made a new creation. To be baptized into Christ. So I just encourage you, those are some Bible study tools that can really clarify a passage for us. And one more that I really appreciate, you can always look at early church history. Because this is weird stuff. Remember, this is weird science fiction-like stuff. Paul's talking about we've been raised up to heaven and we were dead, but then we had to die again, and we had to be reborn, that can be confusing, right? So you can always turn to the early church fathers. It's pretty public domain online. Polycarp, he's a guy who wrote during the first century. He was actually a disciple of John the Apostle. And I just have a couple of these quotes because, like Paul in Ephesians 2, they don't focus on just one part of our salvation, but they put it all together. So Poly Polycarp says this to help us make sense of it. He who raised him up from the dead will also raise us up. That's good news, right? If we do his will and walk in his commandments, and you will have a cure for your former sins. So say you're saved by grace. This salvation is a free gift, but hey, walk in his commandments. Love and obey him. Go, okay, I think you're pretty consistent with your disciple, John the Apostle, because he says similar things in the Bible. So thank you, Polycarp. And two more where they put it all together. And I pull these in because they speak on enlightenment. Just like Paul prays for enlightenment in Ephesians 1, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me to know you. And this is actually a, a patristic father, meaning he wrote in the second century, Clement. He said, this work is variously called grace and illumination and perfection and washing. Washing by which we cleanse away our sins, grace by which the penalties of our sins are canceled, and illumination by which the holy light of salvation is beheld. That is by which we see God clearly. 
Illumination, knowing God, opening the eyes of our heart and the new birth, all right there. This is my last one. And then we'll actually read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. <laughs> Cyprian, also patristic father, says, Considering my character at the time, I relate to this so much. I used to regard it as a difficult matter that man should be able to be born again. Or the man who had could revive to a new life in the bath of saving water to be able to put off what he had been formerly or formerly been. That he could be changed in heart and soul while return, retaining his physical body. I used to indulge my sins as if they were actually a part of me and inerrant in me. But later, by the help of the water of new birth, the stain of former years was washed away. And a light from above, serene and pure, was infused into my reconciled heart. Then through the Spirit breathed from heaven, a second birth restored me to a new man. I relate to that, and we can take encouragement in that, that it's the same for us today. We can be that new person. We don't have to walk in our old ways. And that's where Paul transitions right here in Ephesians 2 now. In this section of, hey, because we are saved by God's amazing grace, how then are we to live in that newness of life? How to put off the old self and put on Christ, be transformed by him. I want to have that. I can only have that by Jesus Christ. Amen? So if we go verse by verse in here, this is... This is what Paul gets to. This is one of those big, famous coffee cup verses in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Just remember, your own doing was you were dead. <laughs> it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Amen. I love that phrase, so that no one may boast. How does the, the grace of God and the working of God eliminate our boasting? Specifically, what would, what would Paul mean by that? To say that God's working makes it so that no one may boast. And I actually think that we can take a lot of encouragement in that, in boasting in the Lord rather than ourselves. Because I can have a lot of confidence in the Lord, a lot of reassurance in the Lord. I don't think it's meant to discourage us of, hey, don't boast because you're, you're nothing great. I don't think Paul means that at all. We can see Paul speak about it over in 1 Corinthians chapter 126. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Thanks, Paul. According to worldly standards, not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But it goes on to say that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has a plan in it. He has good works purposed within that. God can use anyone, and we can boast in the Lord. It says in Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me, speaking about himself now when it comes to boasting, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now that's a good saying, right? 
the world crucified to me and I to the world. So far be it from me to boast. I've been crucified. That means I'm going to give up my own glory and give glory to God. And give glory to Jesus Christ on the cross. The work that he did rather than my own work. In one more section, this is where it really encourages me. When we humble ourselves, and rather than boasting in ourselves, but we give that to God, I think God can work through us, and again, I think it can actually encourage us. It's not meant to discourage us. 1 Corinthians 3.21, And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and guess what? They are futile. They're not getting them anywhere. <laughs> Verse 21, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Wow. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So what's better, to, to boast in yourself, in your own wisdom, and to boast in men? Or to boast in the Lord and say, hey, I'm his, and everything is his, and I belong to him? And man, to lean into a passage like this that says, man, past, present, future, all are yours because you're in Christ. I think I'd, I'd rather do this, but in my sinful nature, for some reason, I keep going back to boasting. And I have a choice in that. We can either allow the grace of God to eliminate our boasting, or we can allow our boasting to eliminate the grace of God. And we can work against it and kick against it. But when we work against it, that's not a work of God. Working by God's grace is a good work. The boasting is futile if it's in men. But I think a boasting in the Lord can greatly encourage us. It's, a, it's pretty good news right here, right? That's good news, not to boast in ourselves. And we boast in the Lord because, remember, he's conquered death. He was first resurrected. He's already won the victory. If you are in Christ, you're on the winning team. So rather than boasting in myself and working for myself and trying to earn a position in Jesus Christ, I can remember that I need to be working from a position in Jesus Christ. I'm not fighting for a position in his kingdom. I'm fighting from a position. And that's the position of a child of God. He's already had a victory over the enemy. Who already has the uphill advantage. That's where you can be when boasting in the Lord rather than yourself. Letting God's grace obliterate the boasting. And so it leads to working from that position, fighting from that position. Good works. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, if you're like me in your sinful nature, this is where I go, oh, you see, I still got to work. <laughs> and you really miss the point. Or you might be looking at other people rather than focusing on yourself, and you might go, hey, if you really love God, then you ought to do X, Y, and Z. And you would also really miss the point. I don't think that's, that's a guilt trip and that's self-focused, right? What are good works? 
And it, then even what about the through faith? You might overfocus on that and go, well, yeah, it's God's grace, but hey, through faith. So let's, yeah, that's important, but you don't want to overfocus on that. It's a faith that doesn't look around for what do I need to do and what can I boast in. It's a faith that's surrendered to the grace of God, that trusts in the grace of God. I think that's a faith that allows the grace of God rather than blocking the grace of God. So what about these good works that we've been created for? Everything after salvation. So we're, we're saved and now we have good works. Well, they're workings of God. Fruits of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, there's really not much boasting we can have in those either, right? If you go, yes, so there's where I can work. Well, that's, that's God working through you. It's not, boasting territory doesn't come up, as far as I can tell, in this passage. So Paul says this, to define good works for us. Over in Philippians 2, 12 through 13. You guys with me? Yeah. Therefore, my beloved, remember our position as children of God, beloved here, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working through you. Your good works are his good works. Then in John 3, these are not good things. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. This was us in our deadness, in our darkness, in our hardness of heart, right? We didn't want that to be exposed. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. When we're in his light, it should be clearly seen, that, hey, this is God. This ain't me. He should be shining through us. And to this end, Paul even prays here. And this is really my prayer for each and every one of us in this room and a prayer that I would take back into Ephesians 2 when we start talking about good works and his grace having an effect in us. I want to pray this prayer. Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I want to pray that God's work can be fulfilled in us according to his grace. That his power, his calling, can be shown through our works in him. That's what Paul's getting at back in Ephesians 2. And it, I love how he says not only us in him, he and us, us in him, that language there. God gets the glory, we get the joy. Right there again. So if we go back into Ephesians 2, we, we, we look at that word, workmanship, once again. 
Sometimes I, you hear people say, man, he's a real piece of work, and people <laughs> tend to mean that in a derogatory sense, but God right here is saying, you are a real piece of work. A work that I've created. <laughs> in a positive way, and you can mean it in a positive way. <laughs> man, you're my poem. You are a new creation, a masterpiece. And even much more a masterpiece when we come together as the United Church, amen? To bring him glory. To show his knowledge to the spiritual forces. And I think realizing, again, our position in Christ, realizing that we're his poem, his workmanship, we then know how to walk as that poem, as that workmanship. How to fight, how to work from that position rather than for a position. So, all right, if we're his workmanship, what does that mean? This, this new creation, because we got to know that if we're going to know how to walk as this new creation, right? I don't know. If, I don't know why I just thought of this, but if you're a dog, you got to know how to walk as a dog. And that's a lame example, but you got to know who you are to know how you're going to walk, right? <laughs> I think something cooler than a dog next time. Ephesians 5 talks about this walking, immediate context. That you are so much more than that. It says you are to be an imitator of God, a beloved child. Man, how should a beloved child walk who's imitating God? Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love, remembering that God gave himself up for me. There's the grounds you hear right there, the grace and the effect it has, but I'm going to walk in the way of love. In Titus 2, 11 through 12, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I love that grace trains us and continues to train us to know how to walk in this way, to know how to be this new creation, to know how to, you know, it's tough to be an imitator of God, right? To be holy as he is holy. Man, we need Jesus' love, his example on the cross to be motivated to do that. Grace isn't just our ticket to heaven. Grace is a motivator, an invitation to take on the character of God and walk in the path that he set out before us, the calling that he has set out before us to take on his character and his heart and be transformed by him. Amen, church? Yes. Colossians says it this way, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The new self, new creation, you're a poem. Your DNA didn't all get rearranged overnight, but you are being transformed spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I say this because there should be a in the light, clear difference in the way we walk in his grace, motivated by his love. Amen? 
So now we're, now we're in this walking phase. I'm his poem, I'm his workmanship, I'm his masterpiece. The old has been done away with. I'm becoming this new creation. How then do I walk? And the truth is, if we don't want to have anything to do with that walk, if we don't want to be a new creation, if we don't want to take on the heart of Christ, if we don't want to make him Lord and have that new self, then do we really want what grace produces? What grace is meant to produce in us? Do we really have an interest in being saved biblically? A saving grace for good works. Because Paul says that that grace should have this effect. Now, people make two big errors here. Some would come way over here and say, hey, we're saved by grace, not by obedience or discipleship. And, and that's true, saying we're saved by grace, but also only disciples are saved who are obediently following Jesus Christ. So on the one side, you can say, hey, we're saved by grace, and I have little interest in walking in the light or really following Jesus, being a disciple. And I, I think that's an error. Way over here, you could have an equal error. You can be absolutely wrong, dead wrong, spiritually dead wrong, and say, well, I'm saved by becoming a disciple. And grace is just this fancy add-on for days when it's really tough, and I can't do it myself through the power of my discipleship and obedience and following Jesus and others holding me accountable. Grace isn't just an add-on, and obeying Jesus isn't just an add-on. But rather, good works produced by his grace, that sweet spot in the middle, where only disciples of Jesus are saved, but they're not saved by some to-do list, they're not saved by becoming a disciple, not saved by a to-do list. They're saved by his grace so that God can transform us into his disciple, into a Christ follower. Amen, church? We don't want to be spiritually dead wrong in that. In order to do that, we need to turn away from ourself effort, and trust in God's grace. We don't want to dishonor the grace of God, forsake the grace of God. It's only by realizing the grace of God that we can live as disciples, and we can walk this walk. All right, so I'm walking this walk, I realize the grace of God and all of that, but what happens when I fall back into sin? What happens when I'm not perfect in following Jesus? Because I'm saved by grace, so am I kind of okay? And Well, let's talk about that. I want to play this 90-second clip. Alejandro and I are going to do this someday. <laughs> and this is, this is the, the Cooper Hill cheese roll. They've been doing it for over 100 years, so this isn't just a young person thing. It's a for over a century person thing. They're uh, rolling down this steep grade hill, 
And they're actually, they're running after this big, like, nine-pound thing of cheese that's rolling along there. But I played this clip, yeah, they're getting some air. Uh, many of them are dislocating limbs. <laughs> they're willfully doing this. They think this is a lot of fun. They, they're not going... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and actually, a lot of them return year after year after year. They're like reigning champions at this. So they're not just climbing up this hill and accidentally slipping, right? They're not just accidentally stumbling into sin. And when we do stumble into sin or make mistakes, I know this is so entertaining. Everyone's like watching this right now. Yes, yes. You can watch hours of this on YouTube. I enjoy it, people rolling down this hill. <laughs> That's not the way we're meant to walk. Sometimes we stumble into sin, amen? But at any point, we have the choice to get back up, to repent, to ask God for forgiveness, to confess our sin, to walk in his path once again in that newness of life. Or we could choose to walk in this other way. 2 Peter 2.20 says it this way, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they're again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. A lack of repentance can lead to a spiritual death. 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We can repent. We can walk in the light. We don't have to continue to choose to go back to that hill and tumble down it and dislocate our limbs and keep hurting ourselves. And we can choose. We can walk in a manner that honors the grace of God or walk in a manner that outrages the grace of God. So what I mean by that outraging. Hebrews 10 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? We don't want to be outraging that spirit of grace. But because it is the spirit of grace, we can choose at any time not to. Spirit of grace gives us that opportunity. Amen? It says those who go on sinning fall into this lake of fire, deliberately building their life around sin, choosing to trample Jesus underfoot. And surrender to the sin rather than surrender to Jesus. And so I say, remember this good news. Remember not the effect, but the grounds for it. For by grace you have been saved. And remember the good news that's played into this, even from Ephesians chapter 1, that we are his child. We've been chosen since before the foundation of the world. We are in 
Christ, we have redemption by his blood. And we can choose to continue in him, to be sanctified by him, right? Each and every disciple in this room, created anew, it's a new creation, united with Christ, redeemed and repurposed. Every single ounce of you to live out your calling in the Lord as his workmanship, as his poem, a work of art. With those external manifestations of God, his good works flowing through you, bringing him glory, bearing good fruit. And those aren't just random good works. Oh my goodness, God did something right there through me. These are things that God chose you for before the foundation of the world and prepared your path with these things for specifically you to realize as his workmanship for that work. So I, I leave us in dwelling on that question, what does that mean for me? I was encouraged to think about it this way. When you wake up, you were made for the day, and the day was made for you. As God's poem, to live out what he's prepared for you. You were made for the day, the day was made for you. I say that goes with our church vision, because here we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Each and every one of us following him, being transformed by him, and furthering Jesus' kingdom mission in the specific way that he's called each of us specifically to do that. That takes some soul-searching to fulfill what Paul is talking about here. And I want to invite us, you know, we are a part of a discipling movement. Before you leave here today, speak with somebody in this room in the fellowship. Set up a time with them in the coming week. Ask them to get together and, and ask these questions. Hey, what does it mean to you to be God's poem, saved by his grace? Hey, what, what effect does that have? What, what specific good work do you think God has uniquely purposed us for? Why do you think we're here in Bend, Oregon? What has God got planned for us? Because sometimes we have trouble seeing that ourselves, and we need our peers to encourage us that we are capable of being his workmanship. Amen? Before you leave today, set up that time to get with someone and speak with one another. What does it mean to be his poem? What good works are we suited for? And how can we walk in them where we have the joy and God has the glory? Amen, church? Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Give him that glory now. God, I think of that, that 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 prayer, where Paul prays that we all might realize the good work that you want to do through us. And God, we're only going to realize that if we realize that we are saved by your grace. We thank you, Lord, because we realize our own works could not save us. We thank you for that, God, as we take this juice representing your blood.
but justifies, sanctifies us. And this bread representing your body, you on the cross, Lord. Enabling us to know you, have a relationship with you, and God, to be a new creation in you, your poem. God is your poem. We want to honor your grace, not enrage it. We thank you for granting us the opportunity to get back up when we've fallen. We simply thank you for your grace. And God, I pray we can encourage one another in your grace. Ask one another what it means to live that out this week. In Jesus' name, amen.